All right, well, did everybody get the handout? Kind of a long handout there. This uh, we're continuing with the with Jeff's series on on the crucial doctrines of our faith, and tonight's is on creation. And I don't know how far we'll get. That's a pretty big topic, but we're we're just gonna gonna start in here and go as far as we can. And you've got the <laughs> the rest of the outline if you um, you know in case we don't get through it. Um, but this is uh, you know this is a, a huge topic and the the starting question I guess is why is it important to know the biblical doctrine of creation why is it important to study it well if you notice there in in the handout um, those two scriptures I listed as examples where do those come in the Bible yeah Genesis 1 1 right at the beginning right beginning of the Bible and John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 right at the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, so what does that tell you about the importance of it? The importance of the doctrine of creation. It's foundational. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, really good rule of thumb, if you're wondering if, if, uh, um, if your theology's right or if something as important is... Uh, how important it is in the Bible. And if the Bible starts off with something, you can probably know, even if you don't understand why at the time, you can know it's pretty important. And you can look further and, 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 uh, and see why it is. So the fact that the Bible starts out with, in the beginning God created, that's very significant. That tells us that that's foundational um, to our faith. So the first thing is the Bible puts so much emphasis on us. That lets us know it's important. And uh, historically, it's always been an important part of the, of the Christian church's faith. Um, and it's teaching and preaching. Uh, the, the preaching of the gospel has always, included, uh, has always included the foundation of the creation, um, which tells us who we are and, and, and is foundational to the gospel. And, and just as an example of that, I just listed just one here. The Apostles' Creed, very old statement of faith of Christian faith, and the first article of the Apostles' Creed states, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Um, so, you know, those Christians viewed it as, um, as a foundational thing to establish, a foundational thing to hold if you are a Christian, uh, an understanding of God the Creator. So, um, our understanding of, of the doctrine of creation is important um, and we can see that, we get evidence of that from how historically important it's been. But one of the things that makes it so important is the impact it has on, on a lot of other doctrines, really on all the other doctrines of the faith. And I just listed a few examples here on the first page um, of the handout. Um, human beings were created by God as separate beings. They did not emanate from him. Now we'll get to that in, into a little more detail on that later. Uh, hopefully if we get to that, but um, telling us who we are, what our nature is. Another one, God pronounced his creation good. You remember that right from the Genesis account? At, at each stage of creation, God looked at it and it was good. He looks at the whole thing at the end and says it's what? Very good, yeah. So uh, that means that there's nothing inherently evil um, 
in the material as opposed to the spiritual. Why is that important? Well, we'll talk about that later. Um, since the universe is God's doing and not just a mere result of random chance, uh, we can know something about who God is from his creation. Since it's his handiwork, it's got his signature in it. And it's, uh, this is something that, uh, that scripture teaches throughout. And I just picked one prominent passage from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament there in, in Psalm 19. I'll just read a few of those verses. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat, and on and on that psalm goes. Uh, but what point is that making about what the creation tells us about God? Yeah, that's right. And it, it's uh, uh, another thing that's brought out really clearly in this other passage uh, that I've got listed there from Romans is um, Paul is talking about, among other things, he touches on here, um, what about people who have never heard the gospel, who've never heard of Christ, and he says, um, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. And he goes on there in verse 18 to say, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Then in verse 19 he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on to paint a picture, a very grim picture of what happens when people reject the revelation of God. But what's Paul saying there about creation? You can look at it and see what? You can see some of the attributes of the creator, right? Ever, uh, what, what kinds of things when you look at when you consider God's creation? What do you see there that tells you what the character of God is? Look at the mountains and see the majesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the sheer grand scale, right? That testifies um, to His power, certainly, right? Um, you know, you can go back in Psalm 19 where the psalmist is talking about all the things in creation. You can imagine to him, you know, he sees the mountains, he sees the sky, he doesn't know exactly, you know, what it is, how far it goes. He sees the stars at night. Uh, he doesn't necessarily understand what we do about how vast the creation really is, but he knows it's bigger than he can, can wrap his, uh, his mind around. He can travel as far as he wants and he can't get to the end of it. He knows that. He knows it's huge, and he knows God did this, so it testifies to God's power. Um, Creation almost seems unending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And really, in a way, we almost have an advantage over the psalmist, don't we? Um, because we understand that it's a scale more monumental than, than, than the psalmist could have imagined, right? You know, we, we, know, we hear things about, you know, our planet and, uh, you know, the furthest we've been is the moon, right? It, with human beings, anyway. We've sent probes out in space. And, you know, it takes days to get to the moon, traveling at tens of thousands of miles an hour. And, and that's our nearest neighbor, you know. Uh, and to get to the edge of our solar system, traveling as fast as we can make rockets go, takes a decade, right? And, you know, that's one star among what they tell us, or something like 100 billion, 150 billion in our galaxy. And they say our galaxy is one of 100, 150, 200 billion galaxies in the universe, and it becomes, you can't comprehend it. It's an overwhelming scale. Uh, and so that testifies to God's just raw power, doesn't it? Uh, that he holds that whole creation in his hand. Um, and, you know, there's other things you can see, right? We, we, we study, you know, laws of science, right? Um, gravity, um, these laws that work and make the world orderly so that we can live in it, right? How would we be able to live if gravity worked 50% of the time? You know, if you never knew for sure when you took a step whether you were going to stick to the earth or launch out into space. You couldn't live that way. But the creation's orderly, and that tells us God's orderly, right? And that really equates with his goodness in many ways because it, he's made it orderly so we can live in it, so we can survive in it. Um, we see in creation, for example, God gives instincts to you know, mother animals in all kinds of species that they care for their young. And it, it reminds us of you know, God's care for us, and so on, and so on. There's a, you know, so much you can see in the creation that testifies about God. Um, so the doctrine of the of the creation um, is fundamental to a lot of a lot of other things, and we're going to get into that more. Um, but uh, another important thing about it is the doctrine of the creation helps differentiate Christianity from other religions or other worldviews. Uh, for example, uh, well, think, can you think of any other, other worldviews, religious or otherwise, uh, and how ours is distinct from that because of the doctrine of creation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Islam. I'm sorry? Secular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The secular view being generally what? That it just all happened. That it's just an accident, right? Yeah. And uh, that has a lot to say, if it's just an accident, that has a lot to say about morality, right? And about right and wrong. If it's all just an accident, do they have any real meaning? They're just conventions, right? And, and they're relative. If they're founded in God, who's a moral creator, that's an entirely different outlook on the world. Uh, that means there are, are absolutes of right and wrong, uh, so it makes a big difference. Uh, the study of the doctrine of the creation is also one point of potential dialogue be between Christianity and natural science. Um, and I don't think we'll have time to probably get into that. That was the last part of the chapter in the... Uh, um, in the, the book of Jeff's that I was using, and uh, I didn't even, the outline had gotten to five pages, and I said, it's crazy, we're not going to get to it, so I stopped there. But if, if we get to it, we'll talk about it. But uh, 
Um, there are many things, uh, many points of contact uh, that we can see there. Um, also, there needs to be a careful understanding of, of what the Bible teaches on creation because there have been sharp disagreements in Christian history among different Christian groups. And um, uh, they have led to some, some very divergent um, very divergent teachings and what really would have to be called heresies in many cases. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into some of that, some of the biggies on that in, in just a little bit. Um, so, what are the elements of the Bible's teaching on creation? If it's important to study it, what are they? Well, um, the first sort of most basic one is creation out of nothing. Uh, ex nihilo is the term, literally from nothing. And uh, it's the, we see from what the Bible tells us about creation that the whole of what exists now was created by God's act of bringing it into existence. It's not just that God worked on something that was already here apart from him and fashioned it into what we see. And I, I've listed a, a lot of references there, and there are so many of them. Um, and we're not going to read through all these. We, we just don't have time for that. But, um, you know, from in the beginning, God created there at Genesis all through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the last couple there that I listed uh, in that section. Romans 4.17 uh, makes a very important point uh, about, uh, about the, the nature of creation. And um, Paul is talking here, um, his subject, he's dealing with uh, food, sacrifice to idols and things like that, but he touches on, touches on some very fundamental stuff here. He says um, there in, in chapter 4, verse 17, uh, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So what does that say uh, about the nature of God's creation? You know, people are creators, right? People do creative things. What's the difference between what people do creatively and what God did creatively? And he is the ultimate designer. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking that when they were talking about the person who had the problem with the eye, there was a study that they had come out with not that long ago that they finally had been able to come up with an approximation of what the human eye does. And they figured out that I think it's something like if you took 2,000 very fast CPUs, strung them all together, where they could all operate together simultaneously, which is like what supercomputing is doing now, 2,000 of them together would have roughly the, the equivalent processing power of what the human eye does in one second. Hmm. Now that's, wow. it, it's all inspiring when you think of that. Man is just now getting to the point where they can even crudely do things, even roughly approximating what God created the human body. Mm -hmm. out of nothing mm -hmm. yeah that's true um, I, I'm thinking of things like walking you know the mm -hmm. little Asimo anybody ever see the little robot that walks that Sony or somebody made uh, and it's kind of eerie to see it walk because it, it looks <laughs> you know it, it's, it's a leap forward for that but 
with all our technology, we're just approaching something that can do that sort of. You know, it can't do a lot of complex. It can't do the things we do easily without thinking about it. You know, when we climb stairs and run and whatever. Uh, so yeah, that's true. It's remarkable. Uh, it's a remarkable thing to think about. I, there, there's an old joke that illustrates the concept of ex nihilo uh, very well. I think there's a, a man who uh, who looked at humanity and and uh, said, "Wow, this is a mess. You know, I I could do much better than God did. God didn't really do a very good job." And so he challenged God. He said, "I can do better than you on on creating humanity." And so God took the challenge. He said, "Okay." Go ahead, let's see what you can do. And so the guy picked up a handful of dirt, and, uh, and God said, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm going to create man from dirt and do a better job than you did. And God said, get your own dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that illustrates the concept of ex nihilo, right? Even if the guy could pull that off, he would be modifying something that already existed before him. That's not the way God created. When God created in the beginning, there was nothing, and he spoke it into being, and it was there. So God not only shapes the raw materials, he creates the raw materials that he shapes. Um, so that's an important distinction. And then the other one there from Hebrews, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that was not made out of things that are visible. Again, a statement that, you know, what God created didn't come from something that already existed before him or independent of him or from some other source than him. Uh, he created the, uh, the, raw, the raw materials that get it done. So the things we can see from these scriptures, God has the power to will uh, situations to be and they immediately come to be. And uh, that's not... A problem, it's not an issue, it's not an exertion. Uh, God is able to do that. Creation is an act of God's will. It's not something he was forced or compelled to do by, any, uh, by anyone or any force outside himself. Um, and God does not involve himself, that is, his own being, in the process of creation. Creation is not made out of God, out of material from God. It's not a part of him or an emanation from his reality. And that one um, actually becomes important in, in a, uh, doctrines that have led to a lot of misunderstandings in the faith. Uh, but God speaks into being and it comes out of existence from nothing. Not, he's not taking a part of himself and removing it from him and creating that way. So again, we'll touch on that again uh, a little bit in, in just a minute. So, uh, creation's all-inclusive nature. Uh, God didn't create only a part of reality, and we already touched on this a little bit, um, with the remainder attributable to some other source. He created everything. Uh, it all came into being through his, uh, his creative act, just like Genesis tells us, just like the beginning of John's Gospel tells us there. Uh, and another aspect that we see in Scripture about creation is that it's the work of the triune God. Um, now, if you look at the Old Testament passages, all those that were listed on the other page, um, generally the Old Testament just speaks of God and, and refers to him that way as, as the creator and doesn't break things down into Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, why do you think that is, by the way? 
did the Trinity not exist at that time? I'm sorry. Well, I think they definitely existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time, but I think it's because maybe they're working as as one, even then. But I'm sure you're you're getting to it. But I mean, even in Genesis one one, the Hebrew word there is we. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The reference to God, Elohim, is a plural, um, and. That's been the case since the beginning, and you know we can understand that um, in light of of the revelation, full revelation of Christ, as a reference to the Trinity of God. Uh, one important thing, and, and what I was kind of driving at there is, um, sometimes you will hear people draw a distinction between the theology of the Old Testament, the theology of the New Testament, even the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and that's a false dichotomy. God has never changed. Now, his revelation to us has been progressive, has it not? Uh, Even scripture says Christ came at the right time, right? Why did he not come right after Adam's sin? Well, we're told he came at the right time. Uh, So God hasn't changed, but his revelation is progressive um, through the scriptures. Um, So, the Old Testament generally just refers to it as, as God speaking. In the New Testament, it, it, though, breaks down some distinctions, and we see some very interesting things there. And that first one I listed, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, um, Paul says, Yet for, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all things, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So what distinction is Paul drawing there? Are both Father and Son involved in creation? Yeah, they are. So what distinction is he drawing? He sort of presents the Father there. Listen to what he says there. One God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So the Father is, you could say, the source. It's from him, right? And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So the Son, Christ, is what? The means, right? The way through. Uh, So the Father is the source of creation. The Son is the means or the agent of creation. Um, And also there's a... a Colossians has something very important to say about the role of Christ in creation. Um, This is the reference there, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That what we just read in Paul, right? About him being the agent of creation. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, right? The exact same way uh, it's expressed um, in, the, uh, in the passage in 1 Corinthians. And for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is not only the agent of creation, 
but it holds together in him. It sustains in him, moment by moment. So, you know, we study uh, today and we learn a lot about the laws of the universe. Uh, Why do they operate? They operate because they're maintained in Christ. Because, again, getting back to the nature and the character of God, God is orderly. God has ordered it that way. They operate according to those laws. And that makes the world and it makes the universe livable. Uh, so that's an important thing to remember about, uh, about the role of the sun. He sustains as well. And there's also plenty of indica- indications in Scripture um, of the work of the Spirit in creation. And uh, we won't read through all those, but just one important point in, in the Hebrew, the word ruach um, is used for spirit, and it's also used for breath. And sometimes even in, when referring to creation, like when it says, when it's talking about the creation of the man, and it says God breathed the breath of life into him, the Ruach, that is talking you know, more about God's creative act there. So it's a little hard sometimes to distinguish. Uh, it's a little hard to be sure um, which meaning is there, but there, there are plenty of references there uh, that talk about... Um, the Spirit's role, and I won't read all of those. I'm just going to hit that first one there in Genesis chapter 1, verse you're very familiar with. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's God's Spirit uh, as the act of creation is going on. And then that next thing, I included just a quote from uh, from one of, the, uh, one of Jeff's textbooks, it appears from scripture that it was the Father who brought the created universe into existence, but it was the Spirit and the Son who fashioned it, who carried out the details of the design. While creation is from the Father, it is through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Um, So, uh, you know, one way to think about that is when we talk about, for example, something like building a home, building a house. Uh, who's the builder of the house? Well, in one sense, you could say the architect who designed it, right? In a, in a, in a way, he's the builder. He came up with the design. Um, you could say the, you know, the head contractor who's overseeing the construction, he's the builder. Um, you could say his men who are actually physically doing it, they're the builders. You could say the homeowner who's footing the bill, right, who's providing for it to happen, you know, is the builder. He's, if you ask him, he'll say he's building a home, right? Uh, and are all those accurate? Yeah, they are. Uh, so there's not, uh, there's not a contradiction in, in the fact that the, the persons of the Trinity all have roles in, in creation. Um, so then uh, we come to what the, the purpose of creation really is. And the purpose of creation is God's glory. God has, has done this to, uh, to bring glory to himself. Uh, he, and as we said earlier, he's, he wasn't compelled. There's nothing that compels God uh, to create. Uh, but he, he did it and had in mind a good and wise plan. Uh, and that plan brings glory to him. And uh, all of his creation brings glory to him. Um, even the inanimate parts of his creation. You know, back in that passage, and I won't go back and read it again, but that I read earlier from Psalm 19, where it talked about the heavens declaring the glory of God. 
And we talked about from Romans how you can look at the creation and you can see things about God. You can see things about the character and the nature of God. Um, so the, the heavens, you know, and his creation uh, bring glory to him in that way. Uh, the animate creation obeys his plan as well. Uh, and that's not just um, us, although we are the ones who are consciously able to uh, you know, able to uh, to bow to the will of God, uh, and I listed there Jonah just because that's I think that's a really good example um, of all of God's creation uh, obeying Him. Because think about the story of Jonah. What, what do we have in the story of Jonah? What what happens there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the the Cliff Notes version is. God wants to send Jonah to Nineveh to tell them to do what? To repent, right? Or, or be destroyed. Uh, Jonah doesn't like it. The Ninevites are not uh, nice people. Uh, the, you know, they, they, the Syrians have a long history with Israel and it's not pretty. He doesn't like it. And why doesn't he like it? Well, we find out later it's not that Jonah doesn't doesn't know God well enough. It said he knows him too well. You remember what Jonah says when he's, when he's uh, arguing with God about why he's angry? He says, I knew this is what would happen. I knew it. I knew if, if I went there and they repented, you would relent and you wouldn't destroy him. So he knew the, the tender heart of God. He actually knew God pretty well. He just didn't want the Ninevites uh, to experience it. And so he, uh, Jonah, it takes him a long time to come to his mission. But what happens in the story, where does where does Jonah go first? I'm sorry. He he goes in the opposite direction of his mission, doesn't he? He goes in the opposite direction of Nineveh, boards a ship, right? And what happens? Yeah, that's right. The ship doesn't have smooth sailing, does it? It has a storm. And uh, and the, the the sailors recognize it as not being natural, and so what do they do? Yeah, they cast lots. Remember, and the lot falls to Jonah as the source of the problem. And they say, "What what have you done?" And he says, "Well, I, you know, I, the God I worship is the God who created heaven and earth." That's uh, a new thing to people who are not. Um, who are not in the faith of the Bible. Um, gods and other religions before that were tied to places, tied to seasons, tied to forces of nature. And Jonah's saying this is a God who created all that. And, uh, and so they're scared. And so he says, throw me overboard. And they do, and what happens? Yeah, get swallowed up by the big fish, right? And there in the belly of the fish, Jonah has a chance to reconsider his position and with a little uh, <laughs> with a slight bit of influence on, on what might be the, a better decision and uh, he does not surprisingly and, and he finally goes to Nineveh and completes his mission of course it doesn't end there does it he goes and he and, you know the way the, the, the story tells it he just says the bare minimum of what he's told to say you know this city's going to be destroyed and he goes and sits on a hill and watches right and, uh, and the city's spared, and you know, there's the whole thing about the, the plant growing up to shade him, and then God causes the worm to 
come and kill the plant, and Jonah gets mad about that. He's really mad. And God says, do you have a right to be mad? And he says, yes, I have a right to be mad enough to die. I have a right. And, um, and so God tells him, you know, you, you're worried about this plant. Don't you think I ought to be worried about this city of people who don't know their right hand from their left? And, and even it mentions the cattle, you know, God's concern for the, for the animals. But the point there is, you see all these elements in the story, right? You see the storm obeying God's will and being used for that purpose. You see the casting of lots and God controlling that and using that for his purpose. You see the fish prepared for what he does, right? You see the, the plant and the worm, the whole thing. So it, it, it's a good illustration of how all of God's creation, even the inanimate parts, uh, serve his will. And so uh, that's an important thing to understand um, for us as Christians to understand um, about creation, that it is all under God's control and does all serve his will. So what does all this really mean to us? What's the theological meaning of this doctrine of creation? Well, what, and really you could break that down, what is really being affirmed by the Bible about creation and perhaps just as important what is being rejected or what's being contradicted. Um, and the first thing, and it's just so fundamental, is that the doctrine of creation is, first of all, a statement that everything that is, God created, right? And um, God has not derived, uh, or everything that is has, derives its existence from God. So there's no room for an error called dualism. Now, dualism was a big deal, and it actually still shows itself uh, today. Most of the, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Most of the issues you can see dealt with in the Bible, you know, when Paul or Peter or others write letters to the churches and they're dealing with some false teaching, you still see those same ones going on today in, in just in different forms. Uh, but dualism held that there's really two ultimate principles. There's the creator and there's the material that the creator employs in, in his creative act. But the Bible is clear that God didn't just work on something that was already in existence uh, before him or independent of him. Rather, he brought it into existence, ex nihilo, right, that we were talking about earlier. And, uh, and why is that important? Well, we'll, we'll get to that here in, in the next few uh, down in the list. The doctrine of creation means that nothing made is intrinsically evil. So the you know, there's been a tendency a lot in Christian history to think that the physical world is evil, right? And uh, the spiritual world is good. But what, again, going back to Genesis, what does God say about every stage along the way of the physical creation? He pronounces it, what? Good. And he gets to the end and looks at the whole and says that it's very good. Uh, and so, you know, that's an important thing to realize, that God created it created everything good. Um, we're almost out of time here, but we're going to try to cover these last few. The doctrine of creation uh, puts a responsibility on us. Uh, and that relates back to God's creation being good. So that means that we can't excuse our bad behavior, our evil behavior, by saying, well, yeah, but you know, it's a material world, and I'm a material creature. I can't help it, right? Uh, that excuse doesn't fly very well. Uh, we can't even blame society. We can't even blame 
the devil. How many times do you hear people say, have you ever heard the old expression, the devil made me do it? Um, don't know where that comes from, but it, they didn't get that out of scripture, I'll tell you that much. Uh, rather, James tells us uh, about that, and I, I've always thought this was a fascinating passage because of, of what he says and what he doesn't say. Uh, there from James chapter 1, if I can find that real quick. Uh, because he's talking about sin, and he says, um, he says, let's see, in chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, he says, um, if anybody's tempted, he's talking about you know, what makes a sin. He says, if anyone is tempted, uh, no one should say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By the evil material world? By the corrupt society? By the devil. He doesn't even say by the devil, right? He says, each one is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now that's not to say, uh, I'm not suggesting James didn't think the devil was real. He certainly understood that the devil was real. Indeed, he said, the same James, in the same letter, wrote, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, but that's meant to suggest that Satan can tempt us, uh, he can use all of his wiles, but he cannot make you sin. Uh, and the, the world can't make you sin. Uh, ultimately, if we don't realize that our sin is our own and the result of our choice, if we don't own it, then we can't repent of it. Uh, that is a complete barrier to being saved in Christ. The first thing you have to understand is it's my sin. I'm guilty of it, and I need to be saved from it. And so, um, you know, that's a, that's a crucial doctrine of the faith that relates back uh, to the doctrine of creation. So the, the responsibility, um, you know, the doctrine of creation leads directly to our having to come to grips with our own sin and face it and deal with it and realize we can't deal with it and we need a Savior uh, to save us from it. Uh, the doctrine of creation also guards against depreciating the value, the importance of the incarnation of Christ. Um, and this goes back to dualism. If there, if there are two separate elements uh, and the world is, in, you know, the material world is inherently evil, then how can Christ be incarnated into human form and into a physical body? And that is, in fact, exactly what the Gnostics said uh, back in, in the early days of the church, and uh, they held it. Uh, that Christ was not actually incarnated in a physical body, that he was a spiritual apparition, and therefore he didn't die on the cross, and then what are you left with um, in terms of your salvation? So you can see, I think, the danger of that to, to, uh, to the heart of the gospel. Uh, the doctrine of creation also restrains us from asceticism. Asceticism meaning what? Meaning rejection of, of the physical. Uh, and you know, there have been um, uh, people who have carried uh, asceticism to extremes throughout history. And, and there have been groups who believe that part of what you did was you flogged your body daily. You know, you tortured the body, literally, uh, to focus on the spiritual. 
uh, and that, is, that comes from a lack of understanding of the doctrine of creation. Um, if all creation has been made by God, then there's a connection and an affinity among it all. And that's important because that links us all. You know, we can't look at other human beings and say they're not, you know, they're not as good, they're subhuman, whatever. There's no room for that doctrine in, in Scripture. Uh, God created us all, and so we're all of the same ilk. And indeed, our sin, right? We're all in the same boat with sin. And the only way we get out of it is being saved by a Savior. So Scripture leaves no grounds for any of us to stand and look down on anybody. It puts us all on the same plane, and it's one of the beautiful things um, about the gospel, to understand that. And, and that, that opens our hearts uh, to loving each other, to loving, to loving all our fellow people. And it even connects us with God's creation, right? Uh, with the inanimate parts of his creation. He created it all. So we have a responsibility uh, towards that. Uh, and the doctrine of creation not only excludes the error of dualism, but I want to hit on one other, other big error that comes in, which is monism. And uh, monism holds that the creation is an emanation of God, which we touched on earlier, that it, when God created, he took part of himself, and that's, that made the creation. Uh, that He sort of separated that from his essence, and that was the creation. Can you think, why might that be a problem for a biblical understanding? What errors might that lead to? If all of creation, us included, are something that came out of God's actual person, then what does that mean? What's our... That goes back to the lie in the Garden of Eden that we are all gods. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. In, in, a, in a sense, if it comes out of that, then everything's divine. We're divine. Is that just an error that took place in the ancient church? That's still around today. Um, the Mormon church holds that, uh, you know, the famous teaching is that as God uh, is now, or I don't know if I can get this right, as we are now, God once was. As God is now, we may become. That's their saying, and it flows out of this idea uh, that, you know, being partakers of the divine essence, we can, we can become divine. So uh, it leads to some very, very, very serious problems. Um, but the biblical doctrine of creation holds that the individual elements of creation are genuine creatures. They are creations. They're not part of God that he took out of himself. They are things he created out of nothingness, ex nihilo, right? He brought us into existence. And that's important because it limits what we as creatures can be. You know, the Mormons hold that we can be gods. Uh, the biblical understanding says you're a creation and not you and not all the other creations, human or otherwise, added together will ever be God. That's the biblical understanding. So it, it gives us a, a proper understanding of who we are. So it removes the basis for idolatry. And if we, if we went back to that passage in, in Romans chapter 1 uh, that I touched on earlier, and I'll just read a little bit of that, what Paul says about the, the errors that people fall into. Uh, 
you know, again, he's talking about what can be known about God is, is apparent from his creation. Um, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. The, the path to idolatry. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, so, you know, an improper understanding of the nature of creation can lead directly to idolatry, can lead directly to making a god of yourself or a god of other parts of the creation. So the doctrine of the creation uh, is fundamental to our faith, and I'm sorry I went over time. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and stop there. But, um, it, it, you know, it's so fundamental in the Bible because it's the foundation for everything else. And the gospel, uh, the gospel rests on that. And thanks, everybody. I appreciate you coming and sticking with me. And I guess we'll we'll uh, dismiss with a word of prayer, and then we'll go to Hardy's or <laughs> or go our separate ways. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We, Father, we we honor you as our Creator, as the one who. Uh, created and sustains everything and, and holds it in your mighty hand. And, and we, your creatures, Father, are grateful for your mercy, your goodness, your love to us. We ask, Father, your, your help to honor you uh, properly as who you are, as, as the God who created us and the God who created his creation as a good creation and therefore a redeemable one. And we know that you redeem in Christ, and we thank you for that. And we ask your help and your blessings to be your people, your church, to have a heart that Christ has, to see people as he sees them and to love them as he loves them, to be useful in, in what you are already doing everywhere around us and everywhere throughout the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.